The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. It's on. So that means we're on. So I want to uh, thank you for your practice and uh, thank you for the honor of uh, presenting the session today. I have with me two friends. It was said that um, we work in prison, primarily San Quentin. So these two gentlemen have been recently uh, released from San Quentin. As uh, Red sitting here and Richard uh, sitting on the far right of me. They've spent, between them, well over half a century in, in prison. And so it's very exciting to have them here. I think I spent 10 years with each of these fellows. And just driving in the car over here, we had a moment of, wow, is this, like, is this real? Is this really happening? <laughs> this is really fantastic. So I'll speak for about 10 minutes. They'll each speak for about 10 minutes, and we'll do some Q&A. Hey, Josh? Yeah? I think you might want to put the wires to your shirt so you can move it up. Okay. It's a little faint. Well, I hardly dare touch it. Hold, hold on. guys have been commenting on my <coughs> MO all the way from uh, San Rafael to here, so I'm sure they will continue. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, some of the implications. You know, it's a little bit, uh, at some point after, you know, 17, 18 years of working in a prison, you get to feel like you're like an anthropologist. Because all these crimes are inarticulate pleas of people asking for help on some level. And they're also symptoms of a greater social breakdown, which we don't get to study much if we just pathologize individuals and throw them away behind walls, throw the key away. And then there's, of course, the, the prison between our ears, right? the life of the mind. So um, there's a Native American saying I'd like to quote that would sort of serve as a way to enter that conversation. The Navajo Indians speak of of people who have committed a crime as he or she who acts as if they have no relatives. And so there's a lot of crying out from that not feeling bonded spiritually, but definitely socially as well. I believe we've had 74 school shootings since uh, Sandy Hook happened. And a lot of that is, is inarticulate, damn inarticulate, mind you, no less, but still pleas for help. 
So what we've done after, you know, working for many, many years is we've created um, a container for the year-long program that's become sort of a best practices application of, of everything we've learned. There's four elements to this program. There is um, stopping your violence, you know, understanding your violence and exercising the number one rule of the universe. Do no harm. Easily said. The second part is um, developing emotional intelligence. You know, taking what's learned vertically by cultivating the mindfulness, which is the third one. And, and bringing it across in the world of relationship, which is, is, is a, an additional part. You may have realized after practicing many years that uh, there's also that horizontal part to, to do. And then lastly, it's understanding victim impact. Men do a lot of work on themselves, and it culminates into a meeting with victims that have been going through uh, similar crimes. So surrogate victims, you know, not related to the actual crime, but uh, same powerful, same powerful. And uh, this is done in groups of about 30 guys, which is large. And we have about four or five inmate facilitators. Both of these men have learned how to facilitate. So we can break up into smaller groups as well. And there's a strong variety ethnically. There, there's every ethnicity there. We also make sure that we have rival gang members in the group. So uh, we have a, a very diverse group of violent defenders, both ethnically and gang-wise. And the group is no longer a group after we do the first session. It's called a tribe. And it's called a tribe because um, it needs to function as a tribe. The name of the tribe arises out of counting up the amount of years the men have served. So in San Quentin this year, we have three tribes. One is called 654, one is called 662, one is called 671. So it's about 2,000 years of incarceration represented there. Another tally we do in the beginning has to do with what we call the moment of imminent danger. Imminent danger then gets abbreviated as ID. There's three characteristics to it. One is everything speeds up. Two is everything gets way more intense. And three is there's usually a moment of regret afterwards. It's the moment between anger and violence. It's a tiny little window. It's also the moment between craving and using. And the job is to ID that moment, to identify that moment before it's over. Because it's usually a very short moment where you have an impulse to do harm and before you know it's happened. So that amount of time also gets added up. You know, how long were you in that moment where you crossed the boundary and committed your crime? For some people, it's five seconds, two minutes, five minutes. 
You know, on the average, it's under an hour for 30 guys that have done 650 plus years. So that's sobering to add that number up. Um, so the job is to, you know, the program says there's four strategies. You can run, you can hide, you can fight, or you can face. And at this point, the job is to face. And so the men go through a pretty deep journey of uh, investigating, getting in touch with the pain that they've lashed out from. And... Um, It's really amazing. You know, the practice is a central part of it, particularly in how it gets expressed in working with uh, overwhelming emotions or strong sensations. There's a practice we call sitting in the fire, which uh, is implemented to learn how to be with very strong emotion instead of medicated. And then it culminates in... uh, and break the house down type uh, graduation where the men are in caps and gowns and the San Quentin choir uh, bellows out its agreement with what's happening and the community gets invited because the gift is then back to the community to say that these men are safe now they're peacemakers and they've signed a peacemaker pledge that they have a year to practice And then in witness of the community who, through their witness, help actualize the transformation, they sign that pledge for life. So both these men have have made that pledge and signed it. So in some sense, you know, people in prison represent the ultimate other, right? There's a lot of fear-based media that represents... um, these men as monsters, as you know, something to be afraid of. So engaging with that element of, of being with violent defenders inside a prison has it, been an incredible path. It's been an incredible journey. And a real exploration of us and them. Who's them if not my own insanity, my own projections? And who's us if not but all humanity? Right, going back to that Native American quote. David Mitchell said, says, Our lives are not our own. We are bound to others past and present, and by each crime and every kindness, we birth our future. So there's a a, a crime and opportunity there, right? There's a way to discover that my primary needs and the common good are the same thing. It's a, you know, it's, we study through the sutras, right, that Uh, We're not separate little units with our own little nervous systems. But then we're part of a a larger nervous system. 
But then to go find that real practically is, is, a, is, a, is a really worthy journey. I feel very blessed uh, with, with this path. I'm fond of repeating this anecdote because it speaks so well to what happens in the program. Um, at one point, we had um, a shot caller for the Crips in the class. A shot caller is somebody who's in charge on the yard. And the Crips is a gang in South Central LA. And he sort of sat there with his arms crossed. Uh, but he came back every time. And uh, at some point we had uh, somebody from his neighborhood in the class, a younger male. And so we teamed them up, thinking that you know, this would pull, pull both, both of them out, draw both of them out. And so they got to work, and they got to be really uh, implementing the program and, and working with each other and one point, <clears throat> Warlock, which was the name of the shot caller, put his hand up and said, I've got something. I said, really? What did you get? He said, hurt people, hurt people. He said, and I know because, you know, I was six years old when my mother shot my abusive alcoholic father. And I sat in the room there for 24 hours because the house was surrounded. Police didn't know what was going on in there. With my father bleeding and my mother crying and I've lashed out from that pain. I haven't known what to do with it. So then uh, his apprentice, Brother G, raised his hand and said, I've got some too. I said, okay, G, what do you get? He said, heal people, heal people. He said, and I know because this brother is teaching me how to live. He was in for domestic violence. And then both men wept. Big guys. And those eight words really describe what this program is trying to do. And so the journey of discovering one another, you know, as I am the other you and you are the other me, is something that uh, can become a practical reality, not just sort of a spiritually feel-good thing to say. And uh, I, I want to hand it over to my two friends here because um, it will be enlightening to hear um, from their journey and their witness to their own process and their brother's process. So... I'm going to hand over this uh, mic here. Well, you got your own mic. I'll go. Okay. Hello. Yes. Yeah. Please tell us your name. My name is Richard Palma. Today's a beautiful day. First of all, I want to thank all of you for your spirit and your energy here today. 
and I feel very welcome. It's a blessing to see each individual that's on that quest of peace. And I want to thank Jocks for doing, for all that he's done for so many countless people, myself included, and for being a brother and a true friend and a true change agent. You know, it's taken a long time to get to where I'm at today, but it's, it's wonderful and it's still a long journey. And I, I believe the work has to be done continuously. It, it's just not going to happen by just wanting it to happen. You've got to make that move, and I, I've been making that move of change. I served a little over 33 years of incarceration straight for kidnapping and robbery and attempted murder of Mr. Warren Wharton. Something that you know I will regret for all my life, but I don't have to live in pain no more. I don't have to suffer because what I can do is let go of that anger and that hatred for what I committed and for what I did by being able to be consciously aware that I can make that change today. And as Jocks was speaking about those four elements <clears throat> of the program, that's stopping my violence and doing no harm. Uh, I have the choice to do that today, and I choose to stop my violence and do no harm by my behavior, my actions, my words, my thoughts, my deeds. And that I know that what I do affects the universe. And that energy goes out into the universe. And I know I, I created a pretty big ripple by the boulder that I dropped into the water. And today, I don't have to look at it as that this is, these are these waves and that's bad. I can take those waves and learn how to navigate through them meaning my parts of my life that I'm not happy with, that I really wish that I didn't do. But I can grow from that by being like here today to speak. And, you know, I, I read a book once. Well, I read many books. <laughs> but I, I read a book that was really powerful, and it's by Viktor Frankl. Maybe some of you have read the book. Man's Search for Meaning. And Viktor Frankl was in, you know, um, the concentration camps and during World War II, and he lost his whole family. But was, what was remarkable was a quote in there that really struck me. And he said, everything can be taken from a man or woman, but one thing the last of the human freedoms, the freedom to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance, the freedom to choose one's own way. And that really struck me. It struck a chord in me. Here's this man that went through more wretched horror than I, I know that I could ever imagine. And here's this man, he stayed consciously aware of what he was doing and how that affected everyone around him, including his captors. 
when other people would just, you know, want to die or kill themselves or make them kill them. He stayed grounded. He stayed in that place where he had the choice. And that helped me recognize inside myself I have a choice. I have a choice to, you know, bring in positive energy in this in this universe. I have a choice to be a peacemaker. I don't have to bring negative energy into the universe. And working with jocks and all the work we've uh, accomplished over the over this here time that we've been together, it's really been helpful. That developing emotional intelligence. Really being able to delve deep with inside that river, inside myself, and to understand it. That pain I created was created in me from a little kid. I grew up in a pretty violent neighborhood, a violent family, a criminal family. And that doesn't justify any of my behavior, but it helped me with having a navigation system of where all this came from. The pain, the hurt that I suffered through and not dealing with it in a correct manner, I lashed out at the world and I created more pain. And today I see that. And that's part of this mindfulness. I can understand that what I do today creates a different energy. And what I do today is bring peace and harmony into the world. No matter what's going on outside of me. Because that, that has no bearing on my choice. I have a choice to be caring and loving and compassionate and understanding. Understanding that what I do creates that energy that I want to bring into the world and bringing that energy into the world I know I can help others by being able to speak here today I know I can take that energy that I'm sending out and each one of you carry it we have an exercise we do in the class at the end of the year long program or when someone gets ready to leave and I think I've got him with me here and this is a stone. And, uh, this stone is, is given to each of us. Every one of the graduates get a stone. Or when someone's leaving. I got one when I was leaving, too. It was hard leaving my fellow brothers behind. It was. It still is. But that's okay. Uh, I can make that pathway by doing what I'm doing. Anyway, we pass the stone around. And each person holds the stone and puts their silent intentions into that stone. And then it comes back to the holder of the stone. And that way, each one of us have each other's intentions to create peace and harmony and love. Instead of destruction and harm and hurt. And so I, I hold this stone here today, you know, in, in memory of that. And 
It, I keep it with me. I keep it with me to remind me that there's a whole lot of people that have brought a lot of beautiful things into my life, and I can send that out. And today, that's what's happening here. Each one of us, when we go from here, we still take a part of us with, a, with each other. And I hold a part of them with me right here, and so do you guys. Everyone here holds that part of each individual. And then uh, the other part of this here, uh, understanding victim impact that Jock spoke on so well. That is real powerful because I, I can look at the carnage I left behind on the danger, the harm, the hurt, the disharmony I brought into the world by not knowing how to process my feelings. And I can identify those triggers when they come up, what's going on with me. And we do a process. We do a process that physically you check in instead of, you know, like in Western ideology, we, we want to connect to the mind. And that's, that, that's the worst thing to do because the mind's got to... Head tape and a story going on constantly. Oh, you do this, you do that, you know, all the heck with that. So uh, we learn to check in with the body because that has the longest memory. You know, it tells you when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, and when you're tired. And so I check in with my body today. You know, is am, am I getting hot? That's one of my signals. My friend, he spoke on. Um, Warlock, which is Kevin Penn. He's a brother of mine. We call each other brothers from another mother. <laughs> Here's this big black guy, and here I am, this white guy. And we used to be rivals, too. You know, but uh, we came together in a wholesomeness, and Jock brought a safe container. You know, and it's, it's really blessing that we have these uh, gifts that Jock brought into uh, San Quentin. I want to thank you, Jock. I really appreciate you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks, man. Um, you know, being able to check in like that, that physical body sensation, allows me to say, okay, am I getting hot? Uh, is, you know, is my hands getting tight? Is my jaw tight? <laughs> Sorry. Hey, there you go. That was a physical one. (laughs) Boy, we've been working on Jock all morning. (laughs) Poor guy. (laughs) I need it. I need it. (laughs) You know, and those those things help me whenever things are, you know, coming up for me. And it's maybe not what somebody's doing at the time, but it's that past memory. And then the emotional part. You know, am I hurting like my brother right now is uh, dying, his liver's shutting down, and he's dying in Modesto, California, and I need to get down there to see him. So uh, tomorrow I'll be seeing my parole officer, and I'm going to have to ask him for permission to go to Modesto. And I don't know if he'll let me, but either way I can send energy to my brother, and I can just be... One, with knowing that that energy is touching him and we're together in spirit. And that's really important. And uh, then, you know, the, the spiritual intelligence for me 
is the rudder to my ship. That's what guides me. When I'm connected there, I don't see colors. I don't see people that offend me. I don't look at it that I have to be right and they're wrong. I can just be, be in the moment and understand it. They're feeling a feeling just like I'm feeling a feeling. And just be mindful that what I create goes out into this world. And I create peace. I choose to let go of that fear and let that peacefulness appear for me. And for, for that, that's, that's my guide. That's what keeps me on true north, I call it. And then the head tapes, like I was saying, that mental, that mental uh, intelligence. That mental intelligence is being able to shut that off and replace it with saying, maybe that person's going through something today. Maybe that person's hurting. Maybe that person lost a loved one. Just like I have lost many loved ones over the three-plus decades I spent in prison. Mother, wife. Family, brother, all kinds of people passed away. And then I can see that they're hurting. Instead of me saying, they're wrong, they're no good, they didn't listen, I don't have to take it personal. Now, there's another tool that I got with me today. You know what it is, Red? Q-tip. Ah, see, look at him. Well, he learned well. Yes, that's what it is. Q-tip. And I know this is odd. (laughs) Hey, I'm an oddball. What can I say? (laughs) But this means quit taking it personal. (laughs) Quit taking it personal. So when I'm starting to take something personal, I pull my Q-tip out. (laughs) It's not for the ear, but just in case I got it for that. Anyway, I, I really appreciate you all today. And also, I want to I apologize to each and every one of you for the violence you've had to suffer, whether to you or around you, or the violence that I brought into this universe and disrupted the energy, the positive energy flow. So... I want to say I'm sorry for any of that infliction. Thank you. Can I just say ditto and be done? (laughs) Good morning. Um, I guess the first thing I want to say is namaste to everybody that's in this room. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be able to sit with you this morning. It's been a while. I used to sit while I was inside with the Buddhist Sangha. Not consistently, but here and there I did. And it's been a while since I've had that long of a stretch of an opportunity to sit. And hearing the head tapes and hearing the cage rattle up there and uh, trying to tame my mind of... uh, and not be attached to everything that was spinning through there. Um, one of the things uh, that Buddha shared is that a life is uh, suffering. 
and uh, I know that uh, I had a lot of internal suffering for myself for a very long time. Um, I was really attached to it. One of the things that Buddha shared about let's work on this non-attachment thing, right? Uh, it's one of the tenets, and uh, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. I am a, I believe I'm a spiritual being uh, living in this human condition. And uh, man, is it a challenge. Right? Is it a challenge? So my name is Robert Fry. I, know, I saw you. I saw, <laughs> I saw you back there. When's he going to introduce himself? All right. My name is Robert Fry, but... While I was incarcerated, I was even before I was incarcerated, people called me Red or Rojo. Back when I used to have hair, uh, and they called me Rojo because I actually, while I was incarcerated, used to teach uh, English as a second language to usually Mexican national individuals. So it was like a term of endearment. So I, I, I like to honor that. Um, I was incarcerated for almost 25 years for aiding and abetting in a robbery, which uh, unfortunately subsequently led to the taking of a life of a good Samaritan, and his name was Duncan Anderson. So whenever I have the opportunity to speak in front of a group, I want to honor that man for uh, him losing his life for doing some, trying to do something good in the world and the community, and due to my actions, his life was taken. One of the interesting things that people wonder when I say that is like, did you murder this person? Well, vicariously, I did. I was with a, a, my co-defendant actually was the perpetrator that, that shot the man. I was the getaway driver. So for a long time in my incarceration, I was in that deep river, they say, denial. And it's uh, long and wide and deep with, uh, with alligators and piranhas and anacondas. And, uh, so what if somebody said, don't even know I'm lying? Yeah, don't even know I am lying. is denial. denial. The, the acronym. We're very acronymic inside of, uh, inside of prison. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so I'm just hearing what's being said and, you know, I said, oh, I'm going to have say some something so brilliant, it's going to blow everybody's mind. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just here and sitting and just feeling and absorbing all this love and positive energy and grateful for this opportunity. Um, I met Jacques, actually, back in 2000. Um, he invited me. I didn't even know him, but like through somebody else said, hey, come to this mindful meditation class. Um, you got to understand at the time, I recently arrived at San Quentin. I was at another institution where there was a lot of violence. It was about survival mode. Um, so he said, yeah, come on in this class. And mindful, me- like, mindful meditation, what the heck is that? I literally had no idea what mindful meditation was. So yeah, come on in. Friday's in the morning. Be there. I'll, I'll be there, man. So I said, all right. So I come one day, and there's only like three or four of us <laughs> sitting in a little circle, 
in this tiny little dilapidated old building. Um, so he goes, all right, so what we're going to do is he, I'm going to lead, I'm going to lead a mindful meditation. I'm going to do some speaking and then we're going to uh, sit with our eye closed and in silence. <laughs> Okay. So I remember the first day so vividly. I was sharing with Jacques uh, the other day that here I am sitting in this room and I'm like, is this real? I mean, what are people doing here? Are people actually keeping their eyes closed? You got to understand in prison, we're in survival mode. We're, you know, we're, you know, you don't close your eyes for anything. In fact, you keep eyes in the back of your head. Right, so here he is making this invitation to try something different and something new and something out of my comfort zone because the only thing I learned in my years of incarceration, I came into prison when I was 19 years old. So I was young and I was scared to death because uh, I was fear of getting taken advantage of, uh, a fear of not being accepted. There was just so much fear. I lived on fear for a very long time. So it was the beginning of this invitation to come into this mindful meditation group and to sit that started me on my path. Um, And then I was invited to be a part of uh, Hatha Yoga with a good friend of ours, James Fox, who was part of IPP at the time. And... So I've been a yoga practitioner for over 12 years. So I do have a little rudimentary understanding about the precepts and concepts of the Buddha. Although I'm Catholic by my spirituality, I'm open to anything that's good and positive and promotes positivity in the world and it's doing good. I want to promote that. I want to honor that. Because I feel like you use the word religion, it separates and divides people. And I want to be inclusive, not exclusive. That's how I try to live today. I strive to live. I don't try. I strive. I feel like try. It's like, oh, I try. Well, I tried to quit smoking, but I'm smoking again. It's something I strive to do on a daily basis. And I know that these programs that are coming into San Quentin, because San Quentin is really unique. It has a definitely unique atmosphere compared to most of the other 32 prisons in the state of California, where I was speaking earlier, it was survival mode. I'm having to watch my back. I have my head on a swivel to pay attention. And that's one of the things I realized when I came out of incarceration after 25 years. I was like this, looking everywhere, because that's just how I was programmed to what I was used to doing. And just the sensory overload. You know, you're just going to the same 100 yards for 14 years, that's how long I was at San Quentin, 25 altogether, that everything's the same day in and day out. Except on the outside, I was like, oh my God, I was just inundated with just so many sights and smells and people and another thing that I didn't realize because, I mean, you see things on the news and TV was... uh, the prevalence of uh, mental illness and homelessness that just pervades society. Um, I just started crying when I saw that. I was just, because I was just not aware 
of how widespread it was. Um, I will live in the East Bay right now, near Lake Merritt, and uh, it's a very uh, place is getting gentrified more and more. Uh, it's changing a lot. So you have a lot of uh, people that are homeless, and then you have people that live in million-dollar condos a block or two away. And to see the disparity there and not witness that, it's just, oh, man, it's just sad. It's sad to see. And to see people that are mental illness and and how come we're not taking care of these people? Why are they, why are they on the street homeless? Um, still trying to wrap my mind around that because I know it's bigger than, you know, it's so pervasive it's really hard to put a finger on. But it starts with us. It's like, what can I do as an individual to make a difference in this world? And as Jacques was saying, us being about change agents, that's what Richard and I strive to do while we were incarcerated for many years by being those change agents and modeling that behavior for other prisoners so they can realize that there is a different way. Because at one time, a lot of those people that are first coming to San Quentin, they were me. They were me. They didn't get it. And a lot of these people got to understand they are going to come back into society. And how do we want them to come back and reintegrate back into society? We want to give them the skills and the tools to be able to navigate the world in a new way, not acting on survival. And that's why I think it's so imperative that we promote these programs not only at San Quentin, because San Quentin is pretty much taken care of, but pushing it into other institutions. A lot of these institutions that they're building in the state of California, they build them out in the middle of nowhere, and then they build a town around it. And so most of the people that are involved in the prison system there are basically people that work for the prison. You know, San Quentin is a metropolitan area where we have the influx of people that are from Berkeley and from San Francisco and Stanford University. So we have a lot of influx of outside people. So it's like, how do we go about promoting this in the other institutions? And I don't want to try to push an agenda here, but it's important that... Uh, if you believe in this cause and you believe in people like myself and Richard to be change agents, we need to try to spread this to other institutions. And unfortunately, it costs money to do that. Jacques runs a 501c3 and he runs it on a shoestring to try to make this thing happen. And um, I know he'd like to employ us if it's possible, but his string is so it's dangling by a thread that we're not able to... Uh, employ us right now but hopefully down the line we're going to those opportunities are going to be created where we can be change agents where we can actually go back into the institution into other institutions and make a difference in those people's lives hmm. because we have a story to share and I think this story is important that they realize that the opportunity is there <coughs> for change and here we are modeling it hmm. because you wouldn't believe the person that's sitting in front of you what he looked like 20 years ago. You, unrecognizable. I was young. I was dumb. I was naive. I was cocky. I was manipulative. I was living in the dominant paradigm, which in the institutional setting, it's like, a, you know, it's dog-eat-dog -dog world, and I was going to be a big dog. So I was just tapped that my time is up. <laughs> 
Uh, so, again, I just want to say namaste to everybody here, and thank you for letting us share and being here with you today. Namaste. So, so busy we're talking about doing time, we've run square out of it. So, um, we can stay behind a little bit if you have questions, but I want to honor people's schedule, which ends right at, at this time, who... Uh, have other plans so um, we'd like to again thank you for hosting us we feel really welcome here mm-hmm. actually because you know for three four years four or five years the chaplaincy students that uh, do the Buddhist chaplaincy come and, and study with us for a day and uh, Gil also has been really supportive in, in many ways offering the center and offering support so I just want to say that uh, uh, thank you for being the Sangha that you are. We do? Okay. I know we got those morbid curiosity questions. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Hi. Um, so I wasn't quite expecting this today, um, and I spent the time you're talking to trying not to cry, so I, forgive me if I end up doing that. Um, so I'm a victim. Um, I am a single mom of a five-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and two weeks from today is going to be the five-year anniversary from when I called the police the second time on my husband and got an uh, order of protection. And... Um, I have spent the past five years, and I still am, in the legal system because my um, ex-husband didn't hurt me enough to go to jail. And therefore, it allowed him to argue persistently that nothing happened and that I was crazy. Um, And I spent many, many dollars to say otherwise in the legal system. I haven't sat down yet to count how much but it is probably close to half a million. Um, The reason I'm still in the legal system is because I won my case, and then I won an additional five-year restraining order on top of that, and I also won my custody case, and he has appealed everything um, and represents himself, (laughs) and I have chosen representation, and um, I co-parent with him now, and um, I'm just off another set of emails where every time something comes up, it's his emails are very abusive, very, you know, I'm right, you're wrong. And, um, and that's what I live with. Um, and why I came here was because trying to understand what it was <laughs> that I did wrong was hard to understand. I'm a doctor. I've spent my life being very caring to people, and it was hard for me to sort of, you know, figure out how I got to be where I'm at. Um, and I also know that this isn't going to end until he's ready for it to end, and I need a different way of living my life and raising my daughter and being able to still move forward. And so this practice is really helpful in that, and that's why I'm here. Um, and, um, and you know, on some level, I've learned a lot of really great life lessons. You know, so in this weird way, it's, it's 
it's been a blessing, not that I condone his behavior at all, but I've, so much of the loss has allowed me to look at myself even more, and while I think I was a good person before, I realized that I, I had a lot of narcissism and a lot of ego, um, that really this episode has forced me to really get rid of and take a look at, and this practice is very helpful there, too, because, um, when I get to a place where I'm like, why me, why me? You know, I stop and I think, okay, this is me and this is my life. And, you know, there are other things that could have happened to me as well that haven't happened mm-hmm. to me. And so the practice is really helpful to remind mm-hmm. me about that too. And so I really want to thank you for what you do. Mm-hmm. And I especially want to thank the two of you for doing what you did because I know that what you did is not easy. Um, my ex-husband hasn't found a place that way. You know, he went to a 52-week batter intervention program where he pretty much convinced them that he was fine and therefore has now earned his way to custody. But, you know, the benefit is that he hasn't killed me and he hasn't hit me, but, um, you know, he hasn't changed here or here. And the fact that you have is, is a really huge, huge thing, and I really appreciate that. So. so there's just one thing. If anything else I've said today... I really want you to hear, not only here, but right here, is you didn't do anything wrong. Nothing. Okay. Um, Thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing. One thing we do often when uh, some pain is shared, we ask, did you put a hand on your belly and a hand on your heart? Mm -hmm. Right. So you have a way to integrate that and hold that with her? as a sangha and it takes a moment to say yes this too can be felt this too can be heard we can do the work of suspending our judgments or taking sides and just say you know this woman expressed her pain it was safe enough for her to do that Thank you. Anyone else? Question? Please. Uh, practical question. How does one contribute to your 501c3? <laughs> Love those questions. <laughs> No, because it's a bit of a miracle. You know, we're not too high on the totem pole of charities. Male adult defenders. I almost think we should have a bumper sticker that says, Save the Males. Because, you know, we've done it it all, but we need some help. Um, You can uh, uh, support us by uh, uh, writing a check to the Peace Development Fund, that's our fiscal sponsor, with on the memo line, Insight Out. And you can send it to P.O. Box 888 in Woodacre, California 94973. Uh, Or you can also find us on the website, uh, www.insight-out, insight as in having an insight, dot org. And uh, we have very little overhead, and, and uh, we have a very long waiting list. We have 312 men in San Francisco, 
Quinn alone waiting to uh, come into the program. So thank you. Any other questions? Yeah, please. Um, so I'm curious. Uh, I'd like more information about uh, what it's like for you to re-enter the broader <laughs> society, finding jobs, finding an affordable place to live, making new friends, connection with family, and if there's a uh, Buddhist Sangha that you uh, go to or would like to go to, you know, how welcomed do you feel? How free do you feel to go to such things? Very great quest- question. Uh, for me, I, when I was released, I went directly to a program. And it was a real strict program. It's called Center Point in San Rafael. And it was rough having to sit there because, you know, I put a lot of work in. But what it allowed me to do was humble myself and allowed me to take time to just readjust to this new world after over 33 years. And, you know, I went in the store one day to buy two cards one for uh, my fiance and her granddaughter. And it costed $6.08. And when I, when I, you know, back in San Quentin, I could buy cards for 50 cents a piece from the canteen. And I'm going, when I went up to the counter and the guy tells me it's $6.08, I go, I started to say, I can get these cards. <laughs> and I cut it off at cards. And it was, and he goes, Sir, is there something wrong? I said, Oh, no, I was just having a thought, you know, right now. <laughs> I said, It went. <laughs> and, you know, but it, it was difficult. You know, because I'm going, wow, man, the prices have sure changed. (laughs) And for me, uh, I'm blessed. I have a home, a beautiful home in Mill Valley uh, that I'm blessed to be at. It's a beautiful condo. Uh, Jocks and uh, Red picked me up there today. Robert picked me up there today. It is beautiful. I'm really blessed. Uh, I got family that love me. I got beautiful supporters, and, uh, you know, I I do uh, meditate with Jock and myself. I continue to do that and continue to connect with the universe as well as, uh, you know, I I do this with my Catholic faith. I go to church on a regular basis, a Taizé service, and so I am connected. And my family, I got to see my little brother, that I hadn't seen but one time since uh, 1984, and I got to see him. He brought his beautiful uh, daughter, my my niece, and we just swam in the pool and had a beautiful time together. It was really wonderful, and uh, I've got to s- spend time with my uh, my nephew, and that was really beautiful. My my son called me on the phone. He called me just two days ago again. And uh, he said, you know, Dad, I'm not, I'm not angry with you no more. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was really liberating. 
my daughter, she's still a little uh, skeptical because of, you know, my lifestyle that I led before I came, uh, before I went to prison and while I was in prison for a long time. And that, that was, that's kind of difficult, but, you know, it's not about me trying to make her forgive me or anyone. What it is, is it's just about being able to understand that what I do is what matters most, and that is is creating peace. So, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's rough. Uh, sometimes out here as well, the, uh, the kind of lack of sociability that people have, that social intelligence to just converse with one another. <laughs> They're always on these phones or computers. Like, I, oh, I was in the store, too, and the guy's talking, okay? And for, so when I went to prison, they didn't have no Bluetooth. <laughs> now, and he's talking, and I go, uh, excuse me, sir, oh, is there something you need? And he, he goes, huh? I go, oh, you're talking on the phone, excuse me. And that was difficult, you know, the technology and being able to do that. But I'm learning. And I, I, I'm pretty good because I got a good memory system, and it, and it, you know, I've got manuals up in my head too. <laughs> anyway, that's that's been um, it's it's kind of difficult, and the lack of emotional intelligence that a lot of people have to driving down and flipping people off and cussing people out on the freeway, and it, it's kind <laughs> of uh, sad. But what I do is I go, okay, I send them that that energy, that love. And say, so, okay, I can create peace by me being peaceful in this moment. Mm. Well, that's what I do. But, you know, just to add to that inquiry, uh, like both gentlemen said, uh, they're lucky yeah. to have the connections. And there's a lot of guys. We have, yeah. have 35,000 lifers in California. Wow. Right. That will get out. We'll get out. Uh, nationally, one in 28 school-aged children have a parent incarcerated. And I, I, I'll spare you the rest of the the data, but, but yeah, there's a, a, a large need for um, a re-entry ways and, and, and places and homes for these men, uh, particularly beyond the Bay Area. And, and that's really what we're banding about to do here is to, uh, to take what we've developed in San Quentin and go into other prisons with it. You know, there's 33 more, so... There's plenty of uh, room for that. I think there was one more question. Okay. No? That's it? Okay. We're out of time. Okay. Yes, you certainly can. Was that Peace Foundation? The, the Peace Development Fund, PDF. Thank you. Thank you.